You're listening to Together by AGCI. I'm Maddie Salvati. We've been doing some major unlearning these days, and part of recognizing our position as a predominantly white, faith-based ministry is continuing to have tough and uncomfortable conversations about how we can do better. We want to continue to amplify the voices that matter deeply in this moment, And quite frankly, that means not recording another episode driven by our own thoughts, ideas, and understanding at AGCI of what's happening in the world today. That's why we asked our friends at Be The Bridge, Tiffany Hennis and Gina Fimble, to help us have a conversation about adoption, race, and faith, and how we can start moving forward. Be The Bridge is a community of experts on the issues of racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. Founded in 2016 by speaker, author, reconciler, and bridge builder, Latasha Morrison, Be The Bridge is committed to educating people on cultural intelligence and racial literacy. It's an education platform and resource to encourage racial reconciliation among all ethnicities, to promote racial unity in America, and to equip others to do the same. Tiffany is a biracial, Asian, white, transracial adoptee. She has experienced and learned how to articulate what it's like to be the child that adoption is meant to help. She is an expert and can speak to the racial and religious dynamics of the adoptee experience. She applies her passions on adoption, race, and faith as a member of the Leadership Council for a local chapter of the Safe Families for Children movement and consulting with and creating content for Be The Bridge. Gina is the transracial adoption educator and operations assistant at Be The Bridge, as well as an adoptive mom. I initially reached out to Gina since I knew we used the transracial adoption resource for Be The Bridge as part of our learning platform for our own education tool at AGCI. After discussing the initial idea for this episode, Gina introduced me to Tiffany, whose story would be invaluable to having an honest perspective about transracial adoption. I should mention that Tiffany is not an AGCI adoptee, and Gina is not an AGCI adoptive mom but we want to keep reaching outside of ourselves as a ministry to gain more perspective and understanding as a whole. We want to believe at HCI that there's greater understanding of the transracial adoption experience, the healing process involved in that, and what that means as image bearers of God with each generation of families who choose to work with us as an agency and platform for education. But we're not bulletproof. We get it wrong all the time, and we want to keep recognizing that. We also want to help heal and mend the trauma that is inevitably involved in the transracial adoptee experience. I should also provide a word of warning if you are listening with young children that there are some sensitive ideas and topics discussed related to adoption and trauma. So thanks for being here, everybody. I'll stop explaining so we can bring on the real storytellers and experts, Tiffany and Gina. My experience uh, living the adopted life I kind of could say has um, different chapters in it, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I was I was adopted the day I was born. Um, so I was an infant adoption, sort of raised. Uh, the first chapter of my adopted life was just one of love and being in a family that really, you know, did their absolute best to help me understand what it meant to be adopted. You know, it was they knew I was going to know because I, I am biracial uh, Asian and I don't look anything like my family, my adoptive family. So they, they knew they couldn't hide it from me, but they really, 
they tried to do their best to give me um, a positive view of my place in the family. And in that first chapter of adoption, I would say there was just, um, you know, it was, it wasn't something I thought a lot about. I trusted my family said that this was, you know, this was good. I was, I was adopted. I was, I was lovingly, um, given over to, to them to raise, um, for my best interest. And I just took it at that and kind of, you know, as a kid, I was more focused on, uh, being cool or <laughs> boys or school, you know, <laughs> I just never thought critically about it. And I took for granted, maybe, some a lot of things about, um, about experience as an adoptee. And if I did, and I, looking back now as an adult, right, I can see more clearly some things I experienced. And I do recall that there were some feelings I couldn't articulate and there were questions I didn't know how to address. And so I just kind of suppressed them. Um, and I just moved on with my life. And that was like my first chapter. The second, uh, sort of transitional chapter was, um, being an adult, you know, so this is like five years ago, I'm becoming a mom myself, having my own child, um, experiencing family in a very different way than I ever had before. And that chapter was really just, um, blowing the lid off of, of everything and realizing that, um, it was time to start to confront what it meant and how adoption had impacted my life. Um, and, and face that and really look at the good and the bad and the hard and the great all together. And it was very overwhelming. Um, it was uh, the time when I was sort of deconstructing what I thought being adopted meant and what, what I thought my story was. And then realizing as an adult, some of the things I was told didn't make sense anymore. Um, and I didn't feel good about it anymore. Right, um, and it right. was during that chapter, actually, that I found Be the Bridge. And it's during that chapter that my racial identity, my adoption identity, and even my faith identity as a Christian, all of it had to be deconstructed. And um, God, I believe, providentially connected me with hmm. Be the Bridge because that is the first place, the Facebook group that Latasha started. It's the first place I found the language and the words, and I heard about these things being spoken from a Christian biblical perspective, and I realized that even though all of this was hard and even though all of this was, was making me um, flipping my perspective on some things, I was no longer the happy adoptee who assumed everything was great. I was now <laughs> becoming, you know, the quote-unquote angry adoptee who was like, wait a minute, this wasn't... I don't feel good about these things, you know, Yeah. but knowing that God um, was with me through it and that even though I had to change my perspective, that like, gosh, be the bridge just gave me so much language to, to be able to finally express things I had suppressed, to be able to know what resources to look for, to be able to grieve and lament with God over the things I had never grieved or lamented about being adopted. And so then the third chapter is kind of like, where I'm at now, coming into a reconstruction phase where now being an adult and having a bigger, more full and complete view of what it means to be adopted, and it's still a growing process, it's an ongoing process, Yeah, I am reconstructing um, what that means 
and rebuilding my faith and rebuilding my, my uh, developing a, a healthy racial identity, one that incorporates all of who God made me to be, and telling my story. And that's part of a healing process, really. And, and, um, and I kind of, it's interesting to be in this, um, in this phase of rebuilding and reconstruction, uh, because it's also a phase that I have to, I have to separate out. Like there's division. There's a lot of division in my life right now. My, um, many people in my adoptive family aren't happy about my changed perspective. And so there's a lot of division. Yeah. (laughs) And, and I feel like what's happening in the world is like mirroring, you know, there's a lot of folks who with the racial tensions in the world or with all of the things going on out there, the pandemic, you know, it sort of mirrors this, like life wasn't what we thought it was guys, Mm -hmm. you know, Things weren't as good and and easy as we thought. Look at all of this um, hardship that we need to finally confront and face in the world. Um, and and we're wrestling with that right now. We're struggling with that as a nation, as an entire you know, as a church, um, the whole world. Um, and there's division. And yet, I see in that. What, what I call like breakdowns can lead to breakthroughs. You know, I, I see that this um, is a necessary growth process um, and yeah. it's hard. And, and yet I still believe God is good. Right. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's, it's so beautiful. And just, I think acknowledging that hard space of tension, even that we're in and just trying yeah. to take you know, the right steps forward. It's not perfect, but it's their steps forward. <laughs> and that's what mm. I think, you know, we need to keep remembering. And Gina, just, um, I'd love to get your perspective on this too. You're, you're an adoptive mom. And just as, you know, a transracial adoptee educator, what is your take on, um, on that and acknowledging, you know, you know, the dark, I guess there is like that dark, underbelly as we've talked about before just of adoption Mm -hmm. and what goes into that um what has your experience been like as an adoptive mom in that process yes well I think I entered into adoption just very naive to um quite frankly the racism that Mm -hmm. has infected many of our community systems but also the system of adoption both international and domestic adoption so um, I have adopted both ways both um, internationally and domestically and I think as adoptive parents we are not really taught to think critically about the hard issues in the Mm -hmm. world of adoption Um, and that is one of the goals of Be the Bridge is to help adoptive parents begin to do that. Um, because, um, you know, adoption is not just a transaction that happens in a vacuum that is separated from larger societal issues. And so, really the vision behind um, Be the Bridge and stepping into this space of transracial adoption was to um, create um, a catalog of information that um, would really think critically about those hard issues um, and, and give white adoptive parents specifically 
the tools to understand um, even the privilege that we have to adopt. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think, um, you know, adoption practices, they do evolve and change over time. You know, transracial adoption was not really a common um, and accepted practice in our country until I think the 60s. And so now we have a couple of generations of adult adoptees who are beginning to speak out about their experiences. And one thing that we believe at Be The Bridge is that adoptees are really the only experts about yeah. their lived experience of being adopted into white families. Um, and what we saw at Be The Bridge is that many times adoptive parent voices and experiences are centered in this conversation. Mm-hmm. And so um, that is what we're trying to do, um, you know, as Maya Angelou famously said, do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. Mm-hmm. And we we have to know, we have to know better by listening to the voices uh, like Tiffany's. And there are many other voices speaking out as well because adoptees are not a monolith, you know, just like people yeah. of color are not a monolith. Tiffany is not speaking for all um, adoptees, but I think the more that we posture ourselves in humility to listen to experiences, the better chance our children are going to have to thrive. Agreed. Yeah, that's so important. Tiffany, just with that, with Be the Bridge too, in your experience, what part of, you know, working with them and having that platform, what is what has that experience been like in terms of amplifying your voice and having a place to do that? What has that been been like for you? Um, gosh, it's really been transformative. I, um, you know, Be the Bridge is the first space. Uh, the Facebook group was really the first space where I saw anybody amplifying and centering the voices of Black, Indigenous, people of color, or and and or mm-hmm. um, adoptees and transracial adoptees. I, um, I had grown up with a perspective of adoption that was shaped by my parents. Right. So um, it wasn't until I was in a space where I saw the transracial adoptees themselves being heard and having their experiences being pushed to the center that I realized that that is what I had. um, My own view of my own life had been from my parents' perspective until that point. And so I. I think it was transformative to be involved in Be the Bridge and to see that being modeled and to listen to other adoptees who were saying things that um, gave me words for things I had felt and things that I had experienced but didn't know how to articulate. And so now there's this empowerment, right? There's this understanding that I need to actually start for myself to make sense of what has happened to me in my own life and what it means for me to, to live out being an adoptee. Cause it's something that, that will impact the entirety of my life. Um, we have, I think I grew up understanding or sensing that adoption was something that happened to children. And once an adult, you know, went on to live their own life, they were just an adult. They weren't an adoptee anymore. It wasn't relevant anymore, but I'm realizing as I'm an adult that the, the reality of being adopted actually impacts my entire life. There will continually right. be things I experience and I will 
not know until I get there how adoption, um, being adopted will, will cause me to experience that differently or in a certain way that, um, is different than my non-adoptive friends or family. And, um, and so, yeah, Be the Bridge was, was what helped me realize I, um, I had a voice that I needed to, uh, to actually look at my own experience as an adoptee and come to terms with what that meant. And then it gave me a place when I was ready to start voicing those things and to be heard. And that's incredibly healing. I heard, I don't know who said this, but I heard it recently. You know, trauma happens in isolation, but healing happens in community. And when people who have suffered or we have pains, when we are, our stories are heard, there is healing in being heard. And Be The Bridge is a place that um, I have found so much healing in the fact that I I am able to come with something that I'm like, oh, man, like this is a part of my experience that's painful. And it's heard. Yeah. It's actually, you know, people listen. And, um, and so it's encouraged me to continue to flush out my own story and to find a way to tell it. And it benefits me. There's healing for me. But I also recognize how it benefits um, people who love adopted people, adopted people, right? Like yeah. I have so many friends who someone in their family is adopted or uh, people like Gina that I've connected with who are raising um, children that they've adopted and hearing as many different adoptee experiences as possible helps us to, to better be able to understand what it is like from the adoptee's perspective, not the parent's perspective, but what it's like from our perspective and, and we can better listen mm-hmm. and help one another. I know there's a lot of mental health issues yeah. in the adoptee community. I have mm-hmm. the privilege of being able to join in these private Facebook groups and chat groups where it's just adoptees, nobody else. And the things that we share in there is raw and it's deep and there's pain. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and it can be very hard to recognize that um, when all you have ever heard is the parent perspective of adopting, how to either acquire us or raise us. <laughs> That's what I hear about. When I Google yeah. adoption or, or adoptee, something related, I usually get something that's facing the adoptive parents, and it helps parents better parents. But I don't get a lot of information out there as an adoptee, how do I live this life and walk this tension and deal with these difficult things? Um, so. Tiffany, one thing that I would love to be sure to talk about um, from your perspective is the co-mingling of spiritual language and biblical language around um, adoption because um, All God's Children is certainly a Christ-centered organization. Um, and at Be the Bridge, we are as well. That is really the foundation um, of who we are. And so <clears throat> one um, eye-opening, um, you know, aha moment I had was understanding just how harmful it can be for many adoptees to um to hear those types of phrases, for instance, like we adopt because, uh, you know, we have been adopted into the family of Christ. And so commingling 
you know, earthly adoption and the system of adoption with spiritual adoption. So I don't know if you'd like to talk about that at all, but I've, I've found that some of the things that you've shared about it has been really helpful for me. Yeah, I, I've written a lot about that. Last um, last year, I did a whole series about um, adoption in the Bible or, or what we have come to see as adoption in the Bible and how it has shaped how we talked about adoption, because I was definitely raised in a Christian home. I was definitely raised to um, believe that opening your home to a child in need was a very Christ-like thing to do. And I agree. I still believe that's true. Um, But as an adoptee, I definitely see the harm in over-spiritualizing certain things and and creating a, a relationship between the adoptive parents and the child that's mirroring you know, Christ and sinners, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so as an adoptee, um, if we say adoption is gospel, for example, and we start to create this equation where God adopted us, so in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle has four different times where he talks about this um, change in our relationship when we are saved. There's a change in our relationship um, with God, and he uses this legal term, um, which I'll probably butcher it, but hoiosasia um, in the Greek, he uses this legal term, and it gets translated into English as adoption. Okay, so it's a legal concept that they had um, during that time, and Paul was an expert in the law, so he probably was geeking out over this legal, you know, metaphor he was using, but it's a great metaphor, right? Sure. And, um, but in that equation, in our salvation, uh, we were sinners worthless. You know, just nothing, no righteousness in us. And yet God adopts us into his family. And now because of that, we have access to all of the wealth and riches of God. And we are forever in his family. There's nothing that we can do to annul that relationship. It's a beautiful metaphor for salvation. But when we're talking about humans adopting children, right, we never want children to believe that they were worthless and there was nothing, you know, nothing good about them until they were adopted into their family and then had access to all the wealth and riches of their family as if their worth came from being adopted and they didn't have any inherent value aside from that. And so even though I know no Christian adoptive parents would ever have that perspective, right, toward their adopted children, when we use the language of salvation and adoption and gospel, and we use it so closely with how we adopt children. Here's the thing about kids. We hear something when we're a kid, and we we don't fully understand, but we will fill in the blanks in our kid in our kid mind. We'll fill in the blanks on our own. We, we'll, we might not even know how to ask um, what about what doesn't make sense to us. And I have a four-year-old, so I see this happen in real time now mm-hmm. where I'll say something, and he comes up with this wildly wild conclusion that is not anywhere near where I was going with it right <laughs> and that's the thing I think it's tricky with kids is because for me I wasn't a questioner as a kid I would hear people use religious or spiritual language about adoption um and I just made up and I drew connections in my head that that were wrong conclusions and I got to the point in um, my young adult life, 
that I had a whole host of really confusing ideas about God and salvation and my worth um, that that were never explicitly told to me. Um, and I think that there, I have, I've spoken with, I've been around a lot of adoptees who were raised in a Christian home. And to be honest with you, a lot of our, as an adult adoptee, um, a lot of our tendency to maybe reject the faith of our adoptive family is because we're rejecting these false narratives, these things that do not line up um, because we've, we've used spiritual language to talk about human adoption, about adopting children um, today. And we reject that when we become adults, some of us, and we realize that's not healthy. And um, I, I think it's really God's providence that I didn't start thinking about these things until I was um, in my 30s, I think, and my faith in God was one where I could question my uh, what I had been raised at, these religious and, and spiritual things, I could question that without completely just throwing the whole Bible and God in the trash altogether, you know, because okay. I, I definitely, um, like I said before, had to deconstruct some of these commingled ideas to come out with, God, what is the truth here? Like, I, you know, I don't see how adoptive parents are saviors. They're not saviors. They're not you know, these, they're not Christ. They're, they're humans who are trying to do good, but they're not saviors, right. you know, um, only Christ is our savior. And so I think, um, I think we need to learn a little bit more complex, a little bit more, um, adoptee friendly way to talk about our faith and adoption and spiritual concepts and the reality of adoption so that we can help kids growing up, not, um, not falsely conflate these ideas. It can be really damaging to our understanding of who God is and therefore who we are and what our value is as image bearers of God. Um, when, when we put this savior narrative into adoption, um, and there's, there's so many other things I could go on, but I'll, I'll stop there. Does that, does that help? (laughs) I think that's so good, Tiffany, honestly. And as you're speaking, I'm just thinking about, um, also how, adoption trauma is just glossed over in many ways. And I think that could be part of that. Um, You know, the, the savior narrative could play into um, an adoptee trying to stuff it under, you know, under the bus, um, not the trauma, not being acknowledged that they can talk about it. And you talked about, you know, adoptee spaces being, uh, real and raw when it's just a space for you as an adoptee. And, you know, sadly, I learned that um, an adopted person has a four, uh, they're four times um, more likely to commit suicide than their non-adoptive peers. And so we can do better, I think. Um, and I think part of that is just recognizing, acknowledging the trauma and helping adoptees heal from the loss of their first families. Um, It doesn't mean that they don't have a wonderful adoptive family. That's not what I'm saying, but that's not going to erase all the pain of losing first families. Right. And when we talk about adoption as if it mirrors salvation, you know, um, as someone who is saved in Christ, I do not look back to my, you know, my sin and and think like oh that is you know like 
I am glad to move on into a new life and not look back, right? But with adoption, for an adopted child, um, that is a, a terribly dismissive, like you're saying, dismissive of the reality that when we go from a first family to an adoptive family and we look back as adopted as adopted people, we look back to our first family, we shouldn't be like, oh, I'm so glad to like get rid of them. Like We need to grieve the loss of that. We need to acknowledge mm-hmm. that that was not, it's never God's plan to separate families, right? Mm-hmm. This yeah. fact that we have adoption and that it's this, this, this function and is, is a product of brokenness and sin in this world. It's not, it was never God's first choice for me. And I need to look back and grieve what might have been or grieve what never could have been, but just acknowledging that, and even though I was adopted the day I was born, um, which by the way, today is my 36th birthday. Today is the day that I have to learn how to sit and reflect on that. I have to grieve that today was the day I was separated. Even though I know that the family that raised me was loving, I still have to grieve that, right? Like I have to grieve that brokenness in my story. I spent probably the first 30 some years of my life, um, not acknowledging that there was any grief there, that there was anything that that hurt me, that that was was um, that I needed to lament, and now now I have to do that to be whole. If adoptive families are are able to to separate themselves like from this over spiritualized narrative and to get into the reality of what a lot of adoptees who have grown up and they're adults now, and we're talking about all of our different forms of how the trauma manifests in our life. It's different for all of us, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have some friends who, they were adopted when they were older, and they were adopted from families that were dangerous. It was a necessary removal from a dangerous first family, and yet they still mm-hmm. grieve the loss of it. Right? They still grieve that their family wasn't the the safe and loving family that they should have been, that they deserved to have. And so there's that grief is still valid and it we still need to make room for that. We should never say, Well, aren't you so glad? Like at least you're not with them anymore or Mm -hmm. isn't it just that you had a better life? No, like that oversimplified narrative of adoption completely erases part of our humanity. It doesn't allow us to be whole people. And so part of my brokenness is is part of my wholeness. Like that part of my story is the bigger picture of me that 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 needs to be acknowledged, needs to be heard, and it needs to be brought to God. I can't give God something I've never acknowledged exists in me, mm-hmm. can I? So how can how can I as a Christian, if you're a Christian parent thinking about raising your child, how can your child learn to go to God with their grief if they've never acknowledged or been allowed to acknowledge that they have that grief, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've got to allow um, and create space for the awareness and the acknowledgement of that. And then as a Christian, I say, so that I can then, as an adopted person, 
fully come to Christ and say, God, like, help me with this. This is too heavy a burden to bear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is so helpful, Tiffany. And I would, I just want to hold space for um, the mourning and the grief that you're holding today. Um, and I'm sure other days as well. And thank you for sharing that. Um, and I also would add that as adoptive parents, I believe part of our role is creating those spaces and opportunities for our children to talk about that grief. Um, I think it's so tempting for us as adoptive parents to say to ourselves, well, my child is fine. My child's happy, you know, and, and in many ways, I'm sure our children are happy, but on the other hand, um, you know, we have to help them process the loss that they, that they have experienced. And so that is up to us, not our children. We need to lead that as adoptive parents. And I think it needs to be an ongoing conversation and not just a one-time, a one-time thing. And it needs, guys got to be ready, Yeah, you know, for that to happen at any point in your child's life. For me, I'm in my 30s now, you know, and um, it's harder, I think, for some people in my adoptive family to to hear me out because I am an adult and this shouldn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, sometimes kids aren't ready. Sometimes, you know, my self-protection mechanism to just stuff it down was really strong. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I spent a good part of my life. Um, in the first 25 years at least, saying, oh, it was so great to be adopted, and I might even adopt myself someday because what a great thing to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, just complete, like, a, a very narrow-minded, simplistic view um, because for many reasons, but by the time I finally felt safe enough to look at the bigger picture and to go into those deeper waters, um, a lot of folks in my life had sort of put me in this category of, oh, she's happy and adoption was fine. And then they're like, wait, now you're changing your story? You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think adopted parents are parents who realize, like, my kid can change their perspective of their own adoption at any point in their life, even as an adult, and I will be there to support them through mm-hmm. that, no matter what it looks like. It could be a roller coaster, it could flip-flop, whatever. It's their mm-hmm. story, it's their process, and I'm going to support them and love them through it when and whenever, right? Um, and that is, it's been great to to recognize that there is folks like Be the Bridge, like you, like encouraging this deeper and more holistic perspective for adoptive parents to recognize that this is a lifelong journey. Yeah. This is not uh, a one, one and done you sign the papers, it's over there, your kids now, and, and adoption doesn't affect, affect their life anymore. Um, and so it, being able to acknowledge that even for myself has been important to recognize, nope, this is a, this is a whole lifetime of being adopted. And mm-hmm. I am allowed to change my, my perspective of certain things about my adoption or life um, as, as I grow and my understanding deepens and, um, and I don't, I, I need to give, I need to be kind and gentle with myself in that process, give myself grace. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of 
new parents too, um, who could be even like considering adoption or have already adopted whatever space they might be in currently with their children. How, and this question could be for both of you, how would you, I guess, advise them to hold space for their children currently to grieve those losses, to acknowledge their story? How would you give, how would you say they could give space to their children in a way to, like Tiffany, like you said, to change your mind or your story? I think Tiffany probably has more wisdom on this than I do, but I'm very explicit with uh, my daughter who is nine now. um, And I'm also pretty explicit with my daughter who's four getting ready to be five. Um, You know, they fully um, understand as best they can for their um, age and developmental levels uh, that they are adopted Um, that they have first families. Um, And also we don't downplay racial difference. Um, I think many white adoptive parents particularly believe that they need to do that in order to communicate unconditional love and acceptance. I've even heard some white adoptive parents say, oh, we don't see color um, believing that that they're doing their child a favor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so um, I think we we have to understand as white adopted parents that raising a child um, to be to be a member of a racial or, or ethnic group other than our own is challenging. And the reason why um, is because we are not a member of that uh, racial and ethnic group. And so um, every ethnicity has um, their own sets of challenges. And so it's really important to for your child to have racial mirrors um, and mentors and peers um, because they're constantly, all children are constantly getting cues about race from their environment, whether positive or negative. Um, and so, so will our children. Um, and so we just have to understand that we do have a role to help our child make meaning of that information because we want them to develop a healthy, um, racial and ethnic identity, um, and I think there's a large body of research that's now showing that, um, you know, intentional racial ethnic socialization is correlated to healthy outcomes for adoptees, healthier outcomes for adoptees. Um, and so I think, I mean, that's just part of holding, you know, helping our children to hold space, <laughs> um, not just for the trauma of adoption, but also for uh, particularly for transracial adoptees, um, you know, we just have to understand that it's crucial to understand uh, its importance, that it does, race does have meaning in America. Unfortunately, mm. you know, race is not a biblical, it's not a biblical thing. Um, the only difference is the amount of melanin we have in our skin, but it is a social and political construct. And so I don't think we do our child any favors by by minimizing that or denying that. I think what I hear you say, Gina, is that, um, so a little bit of backstory before I go into it. Uh, I have had legal guardianship of a young 
um, Latino boy for a couple years, and we were able to reunite him with his biological family at the end of it. But um, during the time he was with us, I realized how my experience um, as an adoptee, a transracial adoptee, you know, um, informed how we we talked about what he was going through. And so, do you know what I hear you saying is like, we, you know, speaking as a parent now, um, we've mm-hmm. got to give our children access to narrative to to perspectives outside of our own and that can be super scary Mm -hmm. right because I think as parents we tend to want to control and shape to preserve to protect to foster to facilitate in in a way that is going to be the best for our child and so to expose our children to people who have perspectives that we're not maybe completely comfortable with or we might not completely agree with seems Mm -hmm. counterintuitive right But I think with adoptees and transracial adoptees, especially as children growing up in our formative years, we need to see and hear other adoptees sharing and naming and and putting words to some of these complex things that an adopted child is probably already coming into contact with. But since for me, I didn't know what it was or how to feel about it or, or how to name it, I would kind of just um, suppress it and I would like make mm-hmm. it go away because it was uncomfortable for me. It, I, I do believe that had I, had I tried to voice some of those things to my parents, they would have tried to support me through it, but I didn't even know how to ask for help. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so if you expose your kids to other adoptees and people of their racial or ethnic background who are helping them to see how to navigate this world as a person of color, um, it's going to help your kids be able to communicate with you what they're struggling with. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's going to help them to feel like they do have the space or the ability to even, you know, know that they need help to ask for it, to know what to, to know how to make sense of some of the things they're already experiencing. I mm-hmm. look back as a child and I can see now all of the times that I had um, uncomfortable or negative reactions that were around you know, being Asian, but I didn't know at the time that that's what was happening because mm-hmm. I hadn't been, um, I hadn't been equipped to, to see the world that way. I had been equipped to minimize race and say, everyone's the same and everyone's colorblind and that's good. Mm-hmm. But when racial, racially charged things would happen, I, I would minimize them and I would push them away. And now as an adult, I look back and I'm like, Oh, I see it differently now. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard. You know, I think me being a parent now, I realize I want to see my children as mine. I want to take ownership. I want to have some level of control, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it helps to recognize as a Christian, actually, you know, these children, God has entrusted them to me. I do not Mm -hmm. own them. He's entrusted them to me. And even though my two biological children came from my own body, like they're still gods. They're still people who are going to grow up to be, to be God's own. And I get to, I'm entrusted with stewarding that, but I am not in complete control. Um, it is not my job to completely shelter them from everything. 
Um, and so with adoptive parents, I my encouragement to help hold space for grief or hold space for trauma, because there's adoption trauma, but there's also racial trauma, there's, you know, mm-hmm. is to allow your children to be in environments where they can be around the people who are able to um, show them it's safe to talk about these things. It's safe mm-hmm. to to acknowledge that these things are things that do happen and they do hurt and it's okay to do that. And if, if you're an adoptive parent who's white and you haven't been adopted and that's outside of your experience, you know, it can feel uncomfortable and it can feel unnatural to mm-hmm. the things that you don't understand. Mm-hmm. But I think carefully and being, you know, taking good steps to educate yourself and knowing what people and environments and spaces you can trust. Um, I think you've got to do that extra work because then you will be able to have hold that space for your kids. You will be able to be invited into that, you know, mom, dad, like this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I need help with. And and they will know that you're there to support them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I really, Gina, I appreciated how you, how you said that because it, it helped me frame my answer how I think we can hold space for for adoptees. Thank you both for those perspectives. I think just having, you know, both sides of the coin as an adoptee and an adoptive mom just in this space is so important for our listeners to hear. And there's just, there's so much to that. And I love the complexity of these issues and just how, you know, nothing is, nothing is really as it seems going forward. And I think it's really important to keep acknowledging that Tiffany and Gina, just any final thoughts, ideas, advice even you'd like mm-hmm. to leave our listeners with? I just think as transracial adoption parents, we really want to do everything that we can to um, provide a buffer um, against the negative impact of racial prejudice and discrimination. And as uncomfortable as it is and as hard as it is to say, and it's not our experience as white people, right? Um, We we don't have the experience of racism. Um, And so because of that, it does feel even disorienting to begin talking about um, about race and to be explicit about that. Um, but I think what we do is we, we equip our children when we talk about it because we want them to, uh, when they have an encounter, um, that feels like they um, are getting stripped of their dignity. We want to equip them to be able to, to handle that as best they can, to process that, to understand that it's not their problem, but it's the other person's problem who may um, make an insensitive comment or a racist comment. Um, And the reason why we have these conversations is because we want our children, and I think Tiffany was, this is what she was saying, but we want our, we want our children to come to us when they have, when they have these encounters. I, I remember speaking with an adoptee who wrote into our guide, there are so many wonderful adoptee perspectives in the guide. Um, and I'll go ahead and give a plug for perfect, going perfect. to be the bridge.com slash shop um, where you can purchase the guide. But she talked about um, getting called the N word for the first time on the playground. 
And she knew that it was negative. She knew that um, it was meant to shame her and she felt ashamed, but she never talked to her white adopted parents about it because they had never made talking about race um, an intention or a priority. And so she had to shoulder that on her own. Um, And so, you know, the more that we can begin to understand air racial identity, um, the more that we can understand air racial privilege, um, the more I think we can um, help our, our, our children to begin to unpack their uh, racial identity um, by modeling that for them. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted to throw that in there because I think, because I get it, you know, I I am pretty white. I grew up in Appalachia (laughs) in the mountains in a very white community. Um, And so for me, uncovering um, a lot of these things and relearning history um, and just seeing the world through a different perspective, through the eyes of my daughters um, and listening to people of color talk about their experiences and believing them when they talk about it it completely transformed uh, my life and my perspective, um, but it, it's so worth it. And I, I feel that the people, um, I feel that my daughters are going to benefit from that. And I'm not saying that I do everything perfectly because I certainly do not. And it's definitely been a learning journey for me. And I feel like it's one that I'll always be on. I'm not going to have arrived at being a perfect parent and just learning to educate ourselves about white people. Um, you know, don't go to your neighbor who happens to be black. If you have no real foundation of a relationship there to ask them, uh, race related questions, or don't go to the adoptee, uh, down the street to ask her about her experience or his experience, unless there's not, you know, a long-term, meaningful, authentic, genuine relationship that goes deeper than just, you know, a conversation like that. Because there are um, people of color who are giving their lives to, um, to speak out about, you know, and educate people about racial issues. And as white people, we need to be um, investing in those organizations. And there are transracial adoptees who are, you know, Tiffany being one of them who through great emotional labor is, you know, kind of unpacking, uh, her life experience to, um, you know, to give us wisdom. Um, and, you know, we need to be, um, also investing and supporting transracial adoptees financially, through prayer, um, you know, through elevating their voices as opposed to, you know, white centered voices, as she was saying. And so I just wanted to, um, to make, to say that. Well, all of us parent imperfectly, right. And, you know, I think one of the first steps is to admit that, like, I am going to make mistakes, but not to, that doesn't absolve me of trying to educate myself and prepare myself as best as possible for the sake of my child. Um, and so one of the things that Be The Bridge does when I when I first started getting into the group discussion guide, and one of the things they encourage um, people to do is to take an inventory of the 
educational materials you consume, the entertainment you consume, and to see how much of it is, you know, created by white people or centering white culture or white stories. Mm -hmm. And I would say the same thing goes for adoptive parents. How much of adoption-related material that you read, consume, watch, you know, podcasts, blogs, um, books, how much of it is it that is by adoptive parents or by adoption mm -hmm. agencies compared to how much of that is actually by adoptees themselves? Mm -hmm. And if you are parenting or going to parent a child of another racial or ethnic um, group, then how much of the materials is by adoptees of that racial or ethnic group? And mm -hmm. um, if, if you can... As a, an adoptive parent or a hopeful adoptive parent, if you can learn to sit <clears throat> in the discomfort of hearing um, adult adoptees sharing their complex realities, you know, mm -hmm. their their experiences that do not center the adoptive parent and, and the adoptive parent's needs and the adoptive parent's timelines and the adoptive parent's concerns, because Concerns that adoptive parents have are different from concerns that adoptees have right. when we talk about mm -hmm. adoption. If you can learn to do that, because if, if you can read those books, um, and, and the Be the Bridge Transracial Adoption Guide has a list of resources in it, so it's another good reason to get that guide. There's a list of adoptee-centered resources. If you can read those things, listen to those podcasts, you know, there's my website, my blog. You, you can go on to Instagram and follow you know, hashtag transracial adoptee, and you can find mm -hmm. adoptees who are sharing on social media if that's where you're at. You know, if you mm -hmm. can learn how to engage with those adults who are sharing complex, hard-to-hear things, mm -hmm. you're sort of, in a way, preparing yourself for how to sit with your child as they grow through their experience of being an adoptee and someday are... Are you going to be, are they going to feel comfortable coming to you with some of their deepest hurts? Well, hopefully, right? Because as a parent, that's mm -hmm. what you want. You want to be there for your kid in their deepest hurts. And if you've already heard some of these, some of these really hard to hear things as a parent um, from, from an adoptee who's putting it out there, you know, willingly, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I think it buffers you in your heart and it creates a posture in the adoptive parent to be ready to sit and listen humbly to validate and to remember it's not about me as the parent and what I feel or what I think it's about the experience of my child and their val you know, their, their feelings, their, their concerns, their, the things mm -hmm. they're struggling with, these are valid, these are real. And I need to, I need to center that and I need to be there for them and support them through, through that. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a great practice, you know. I, I, I don't ever want to, you know, just uh, completely like dog on adoptive parents, but I, I do see in the adoption world a focus on um, really affirming adoptive parents for their choice. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and I'm not going to say that's a bad thing to do, but I'm going to say if that's all you hear as an adoptive parent mm -hmm. is you're so good for doing this. You know, mm -hmm. um, this is such a great thing. Um, it doesn't create uh, an endurance or a stamina in you to hear um, a, a narrative that says, hey, like, and yet here's all the things that my adoptive parents did that didn't actually help, you know? And you're like, wait a minute, that's, that's going against yeah. the feel-good perspective that I have um, 
sort of fostered this whole time as I've learned how to be an adoptive parent. And even if you have biological kids, right? Like, you know, again, I'm only a four-year-old parent in terms of my own biological child. Um, but <laughs> even at four, you can tell me yeah. things that hurts my pride. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it's, I think as adoptive parents, like we need to, uh, I, am not really an adoptive parent. We have a legal guardianship for a few years, so I shouldn't say we collectively too much in that, but, um, adoptive parents, parents in general, like we've, we've got to be ready to recognize that our pride's going to get hurt because we will have made mistakes. We can own up to mm-hmm. those, but we can, um, we can recognize that we are the parents and our job is to help um, our child, no matter how old they are, no matter where they're at, with what they're struggling with and, and to decenter ourselves from mm-hmm. the relationship. Um, my child's life is not all about me. They're, they're gods. They've been entrusted to me. I am... It's a, it's a gift for me to help steward them into whoever God creates, you know, wants, wants them to be. But they do not exist for me to feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. And that's true for biological parents as well as adoptive parents. And I, I think hearing the adult adoptees speaking about the complexities, the things that our uh, kids can't say yet, helps prepare adoptive parents to be able to really show up for their their own adopted kids when mm-hmm. when the time comes. Mm-hmm. Thank you both so much just for being willing to talk about these hard things and to just again just create that space for everyone listening to hear that. It's it's really important. I just wish you all the best and look forward to talking again soon, I'm sure. Thank you so much. We hope we could provide another window of perspective and be forthcoming and honest throughout this episode. It's heavy, but we have a responsibility to contribute to the healing process within the transracial adoption experience and to the injustice in our world today. We want to keep having these hard conversations and want you to know that the learning does not end with this podcast episode. We invite you to check out the resources from Be The Bridge, along with Tiffany's blog and website. Go to bethebridge.com forward slash shop for the Transracial Adoption Guide, along with a plethora of incredible tools to utilize in your process of educating yourself on the topics we discussed. You can find Tiffany's blog on her website at callinginthewilderness.com. Both of these resources are linked in our show notes. Thanks for being here, everybody. We're excited to continue this journey of unlearning and listening together. We'll talk again soon.